sound that rumbling that you hear at the beginning there is a sound that's very familiar to my brother kevin who was our guest on the radio show yesterday incredible show with my brother kevin he's got a great voice articulates his thoughts well he's a controversial dude him and i we really are brothers we look a lot alike we think a lot not completely but we're kind of close to alike you know what i mean have a lot of the same struggles, I think. But he could have his own radio show. He really could. Uh, he was able to add a lot of details about the story of Kafji, And he's going to come back to discuss that even more. I was going to have him on the podcast today. Unfortunately, uh, we ran into some schedule difficulties. And with the launch of the podcast, we were running out of time. And I thought, well, I'm going to fill in the blanks for my brother. And we'll get him back on at another time. Not too hard, right? Not too hard at all. One of the other big stories that we discussed was this botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. Now, you're going to hear that described in different ways. The mainstream media is going to describe it a whole different way, especially as we're in a, a election year. But the facts remain clear, and that is that 13 service members were killed, 11 Marines, one soldier one sailor. And besides the deaths, the treatment that the units there endured, the lies that they're now being subjected to, the story bothers me for several reasons. One, it was very completely predictable by many of us. And if it was predictable, it was avoidable. And if it was being predicted, why weren't we being listened to? Many of us, I was on record on my podcast saying it. As soon as I heard word we were withdrawing, the way we were withdrawing, I said there's going to be dead dead Marines. Obviously, the deaths bother me in themselves. It's not something that we can just take lightly. But number three, that the Marines there treated so poorly. Number four, zero accountability. Little notice, even. There really wasn't even much to talk about with, the, with these deaths. And number five, the attacks on those who, who do bravely speak out, like Lieutenant Colonel Scheller. We're going to talk a little bit more about his story a little bit later. This was the biggest military failure since Vietnam, when you look at the whole picture. The amount of money, the amount of resources wasted and left. How is it that we don't even care if we win wars anymore? That the outcome doesn't even seem to matter? Is it me or has everybody lost sight of why we were in Afghanistan in the first place? But this is a lot bigger than just the military as far as I see it. And I've been thinking about this a little bit lately with the role of this podcast and how we look at it. I really think that we can look at the military as the tip of the spear, so to speak. I don't know if that's the best analogy. But it's a sign of how our government is working. It's a sign of the cooperation with, within our governments and between our private sector, at least on the military side in our government. But as it stands right now, there's no responsibility, no accountability, and the message is that you better keep your mouth shut if you see something. What kind of a system is that? And is that really the type of government that we want? Is that really the kind of military that we want? Do you realize that the potential for bad things to happen 
when senior leaders are silenced. It has never worked well in history. When you, when you look, you know, bad governments, how do you know it's a bad government when, when they don't let people out of the country? How, how do you know it's a draconian dictatorship? Yeah, when you're not allowed to leave, you, you suddenly went from a country to a prison. Little difference there, right? That's the potential for bad things. Mass death on a scale that, God willing, we never see again. But it never, it never works out well when people are silenced. The shining a light on, on things and exposing the raw truth for people to see. It is necessary, important foundation to having just systems. It is what our military fights for in part. We talked about um, this escape yesterday from Kabul, the Marines getting out. We talked about the story of Kafji. But the main point of all that was the leadership that we see today compared to then. We had great military leadership, and it wasn't all right. You'll see I talked about it in in the book. When you read the book, Victory Over Chaos, the weapons of mass destruction, where were they? I answer that question. The, um, The PTSD, I have a chapter on that. All these things I talk about. But the fact of the matter is that we did have great leadership in place, and we saw that all the way down, I believe, to the NCOs, from the NCOs on up. I had a lot of respect for our generals, our battalion commanders, our regimental commanders within our battery. And, of course, some were controversial, more controversial, and they had different styles and strengths and more or less liked. Gunny Lefevre, for example, he's like the most likable guy on the planet. This Guamanian accent. (laughs) They can't even do it close. It's just a, a light, you know, it's a Marine's Marine, a real gunny. But all of them, all of the lieutenants and the senior staff NCOs, just led by example, strong leaders. They, everything they said, they did. Everything they asked, they did themselves. And to the point that we're down in, in, in uh, visiting Paris Island last year, 2023, on a Marine Corps reunion. And our platoon commander, Ron Rosenbrook, we go down to the chow hall to eat. It's pretty phenomenal. Here we are, a bunch of 50-year-olds eating in the chow hall. This is the staff chow hall. We weren't there with the, with the recruits. That would have been something. But the point is this. We go to the chow hall, and our platoon commander, Ron, he wouldn't go into the line until everybody else had gone through. And this is a standard I don't think protocol would be the right word, and I do believe it goes through all the branches. I could be wrong, but I know in the Marine Corps, the the staff and officers would not take a bite until everyone else had taken their food and eaten, and and it's not a rule. It's, It's a tradition of leadership. It's done by example. It's done voluntarily. This is the type of leaders that we had. They wouldn't take a bite of food until everybody else in the unit had eaten. That was the kind of leadership. Compare that to what we see going on today. Here comes the guy 30 years later. He's not even, none of us are on active duty anymore. He didn't have a requirement to do it then. He sure as hell doesn't have a requirement to do it now. And he does the same thing. Why was he doing that? Why would he do it 30 years later? He was demonstrating the type of man that he is. 
We need more of that. That's the kind of leadership that we had. And so I'm not, I don't be critical of today's leadership just for the purpose of being critical. There's some real issues that we need to talk about. And I'm not the only one raising them. This stuff is well documented at this point. I don't. How would we have responded to this um, Kabul situation? What would have been the appropriate response? And I, this is very simple, really. What, what should have happened in the case of the Kabul? Well, the, the main problem was there was simply no plan. And let me just comment on that a second as well. You know, from 30 years ago, we, we did have military leaders. Norman Schwarzkopf, uh, who was the commandant before that? Gray. He was a good one, too. Our leadership, even politically, there was a, a certain united front, and at least they, some, not somewhat, they had a clear direction. And unlike what you see going on today, let me just tell you that as they're taking away artillery and tanks and so forth from the Marine Corps as we speak, the attitude and effort when we were in was, what do you need? We'll get it for you. In the book, you'll hear me talk about this book probably frequently, Call Sign Chaos by General Mattis. He talks about this issue of logistics and his role and being a problem. What do you need? I get it for you. The whole logistics, man. Right? General Mattis, he's not fighting on the front line. I mean, he did go visit and things like that. I'm not saying he wasn't a, a military tactician, but that wasn't his role. His role was to make sure everybody understood where they needed to be, how they were getting there, and they had everything they needed to get there. That's leadership, plain and simple. It's work. And that's how you build loyalty. That's why the, the, the brotherhood that we talked about is, is so tight. Because when we said we were going to be somewhere, you better set your watch on it. We were going to be there. That kind of, when you can depend on somebody like that, that's what builds trust. Talk through the, the whole Kafji story quite a bit, and it's in the book, so I'm not going to go back through it. But I wanted to just describe to you for a minute a few terms so you're aware. This is really just general interest. Talk about the cannons, the guns, and the fire missions. Let me just give you a, a brief explanation of what's going on there. And first, I want to tell you, I'm zero expertise on this. I wasn't even an artilleryman, I think, is the 0811 is the MOS for that. And that was not me. They have then FDC, Fire Direction Control. That's a separate MOS. That was not me. We had communications support. That's a whole other MOS. That was not me. <laughs> I was Motor T, Motor Transport. We drove the trucks. We drove the trucks that hauled the cannons, and we drove the trucks that hauled the ammo primarily. There was also details of driving the commanding officer, the executive officer. I filled all those positions from time to time. And motor transport, I'm going to say, is a lot less uh, sexy as probably being artillery, but we got to experience both. So it was kind of the best of both worlds from my perspective. But I say all that just to tell you you may know more about artillery than me. We were a 155-millimeter howitzer battery. We did have smaller guns, a 105-millimeter howitzer, which was used primarily for helo raids. But uh, with a CH-56 Echo, the M19 or 855-millimeter howitzers could also be airlifted. And this is an incredible capability to think that you would take helicopters 
and maneuver artillery where you can't drive and create a fire base. And you hear that rumbling at the beginning of the show. That symbolizes one round from each of eight guns on the battery. Imagine that going on three, four, five, ten rounds. But take out level grid squares, one kilometer by a kilometer. In short order, by the way. Talk about logistics. Think about the issue of keeping that supplied. And that was a big part of my job. We would leave the unit in these ammo trains and um, we had a lieutenant and a convoy in, in the lead Humvee and uh, I was usually either the first truck or the last truck. I was with gun one so I'd be the first or the last and we would regularly have to leave the unit. We would usually, not always, we would have a Apache helicopter support, air security support, very important. We're hauling 20,000 pounds of high explosive ammunition on the truck when you're driving in peacetime you keep the powder separate from the projectiles and nothing's fused up it's actually pretty um, docile it's pretty pretty take quite a bit to ignite that when you put it all together that whole equation changes when you drive in the civilian world you don't combine them it's illegal to drive like that in combat all those rules go out so you're driving this highly volatile mix of explosives in some cases fused rounds crazy stuff who can back on it and and driving it across not on roads but on the desert crazy but let me just describe to you what goes into a fire mission the, it, the process starts with what's called a forward observer and that is a uh, could be doesn't have to be a marine frequently it is for marine artillery I'm not sure for army artillery and by the way also just for the record Army artillery is regarded as the best in the world, American Army artillery. It really is fantastic artillery and operate very much in the same way the Marine Corps artillery does with few differences. The um, process starts with the forward observer. I don't know how it works with the Army, but I'll say this. My son is what's called TAC-P. He's on active duty Air Force, and essentially he's the same thing, what we would call a forward observer. He goes out and calls for fire. So his job is to know his location, the grid coordinates of his location, so that he can tell the fire direction control center. So we would have eight cannons set up, two platoons, four guns each. And it'd be spread out. It could be you know a couple hundred yards apart. So the entire pause for the battery, you know, could be a couple of kilometers big. You'd have uh, two fire direction control centers. I suppose in some ways that was to create redundancy. I don't know. Maybe so they could operate separately together. There was survey done. If you've heard me talk about our show sponsor, STA Engineering, my brother Michael Tacanelli. I learned to survey when I got out of the Marine Corps. It's an incredible art. We had surveyors with the unit because they had to know where the guns were and exactly what direction they were pointing, aiming. And so they would they would sight the stars basically to pin down a location. It's a it's a real skill. My brother Michael, he'll tell the story of, of using the stars to locate a position to uh, where he laid out cell phone towers in remote locations. Pretty crazy. We did it to lay out the howitzer locations. Amazing, right? <laughs> I'm sure today this is all done with GPS, but back then this doesn't exist. So the positions are established. There's a fire direction control center. They have a radio, and they're in contact with a forward observer who's out on the very front lines or in a position where he can see the front line better off. 
You know, the recon units, the swift, silent, deadly, if, if, if you see them, they failed, is usually what they'll tell you. That's where the forward observers typically are. They're watching. In the case of Kafji, it was Ingram up on a rooftop. He gets on the radio and he calls. And he's calling in a few different things. One, location. Two, what is it? And three, what does he want? And I, and I don't know the exact protocols on all this. So if you, if you were a forward observer or FDC, you're going to know better than me. But the gist of it is this. The radio operator calls in, and he's not going to do it in this way. He's going to use proper radio protocols. He's going to say, hey, there's tanks. They're in the open or they're concealed in ditches. I'll tell you, and all this is going to be used to determine the powder, the projectile, and the fuse. And they're going to discuss all that. The first thing that's going to happen is usually one round is going to be fired. Fire around, boom, and it's and it'd be off. This is not an exact science. There's a lot of variables and all the way down to the wind. You'd be firing at this cannon at 12 miles away. You think the wind makes a difference? <clears throat> you think the curvature of the earth makes a difference? It all makes a difference. Big difference. The, ra- the radio operator, the forward observer calls it in they, with the the coordinates. There's a lot of math that's done, and the FDC is the kind of the brains of the operation. And they'll call down to the howitzer, and they'll say, you know, turn the gun this this many degrees left and this many degrees up. Put this projectile in with this gunpowder with this fuse, and then they'll they'll say they'll tell them either wait for my command or fire when ready or something like that. All this gets repeated back multiple times to make sure that the information is 110% correct. You don't want to shoot out. The first round is fired. If it hits on target the first time, which is rare, but it did happen at Kafji, the second call is fire for effect or just fire. Uh, you know, and, and depending on how close, I might say just fire, right one click, fire for effect over. And Kevin mentioned, in the case of Kafji, they were ICMs. ICMs or ICBs, I forget. But basically, it is a projectile, a big bullet that's you know six inches in diameter and a foot and a half long. And what did he say? 88 little grenades in there. And what happens is the fuse on that is set to go off when that thing is about five feet above the ground. And it just wreak havoc on any personnel in the area. And that's exactly what happened. If you can imagine being on the rooftop and this is going on right below the building, you you heard the outgoing booms at the beginning of this. Imagine what that sounds like on the incoming side. But the Marine Corps doesn't have it anymore. It's gone. We'll be talking about that in a future radio show. Our unit alpha battery has been disbanded. It's a real crime, I'll tell you that. But I want to talk about something else that we t- discussed on the radio yesterday. And that was the, the reunions that we have. Kevin played a role in the very first reunion. There was several people that did and many people that got involved in that and many, many people that attended it. And it was really momentous. Was it 25? The 30-year reunion, I believe. 25 years. I have it on a challenge coin. But it was really a spectacular um, event that's, I guess, really only most meaningful to us. But I can tell you from my wife, my daughter, my mother-in-law were there. They got to witness it, and I think they were moved by the, 
by the camaraderie as well. And it's that that I want to talk to you about. Two things, really, that I'll continue to say, and that is one for my fellow veterans. It's so important to stay in touch with those guys that you're in with. And you got to know how it is, man. You reach out to guys, and they don't get back to you because people have lied. But don't get all butt hurt over it. you got to work it a little bit. And you got to stay in touch. I know it's not easy at times, but we got to do it. And sometimes we got to have tough talks, man. It's just the way it goes. But I want to talk about this brotherhood that we share from Alpha Battery because it really was unique. And a lot of people said, you know, when they want to throw their hands, yeah, it's just, just one of those things. No, it wasn't just one of those things, man. It wasn't just one of those things at all. It wasn't just some random magic. And it, and it wasn't some masterful design by some puppeteer in the Marine Corps either. It was a result of the character of the men that were in that unit. And I believe that on many levels, we lifted each other up. I think we need to continue to do that. And, you know, you'll hear this and you think, man, those guys are so tight. Everything seems so perfect. Don't just tell you the underbelly gets a little messy. And there's a couple ugly ones in there. Some of my shenanigans were shenaniganry <laughs> on an epic scale, no doubt. But some of the things that went, went on were a little sad, but we'll, we'll keep those things in-house and we take care of our own. And it takes nothing away from the strong bond that we had, the respect for the leaders that we had. And they weren't easy, they weren't nice, and they weren't always pleasant, I can tell you that. Staff Sergeant, uh, what was his name, DeSantis? Drawing a blank. I remember one time I was, uh, I fell out of a run. I was doing a lot of weightlifting. And when I got to about 200, I'm six foot five, six six. I got up to about 240, 245 pounds. I couldn't keep up with the unit runs anymore. Well, they weren't as accommodating about that as I had hoped. <laughs> and um, the staff sergeant came up behind me and he pushed me. I was puking, and he pushed me. <laughs> I'm there puking, and he pushes me. Well, I turn around to take a swing at him, and he's like, you want to go throw down Kunkel? We'll do it right now. I was like, all right, all right. Just let me puke, and I get back to the run. <laughs> but you know what, man? He was incredible. They all were. Everybody in Alpha Battery. I said it wasn't some random event. It was a reflection of the character which was built on hard work. I said about being where you say you're going to be and doing what you say you're going to do. And that's not always easy. Plainly difficult in some circumstances. But that's how you build trust, and that's why we had it. We fought, we had our problems, all those things. But if Alpha Battery said they were going to be there, you could set your watch to it. And we didn't turn our backs on each other. Not when it was most important. You see, today, and partly why I bring this up, that we have this moral and leadership crisis that we've talked about. And if you don't believe me on that, I'll say this simply, then why do we have a low enlistment numbers? Why do people not want to come in? Well, because it sucks. That's why. And I know it's not a nice word. What, how can I say that? Well, the Marine Corps always sucked. Embrace the suck. That's what we say. And I went through a, a plenty of period where I had my bad attitude about it, believe me. 
It really does just suck at times, and you got to get through it. But it's a little different now. It sucks in a different way. They're going to force you to stick needles in your arm. They're going to take away your heavy armor and put you in situations that aren't going to end well. And then when they don't, they're going to blame you. And then they wonder why people, oh, yeah, sign me up. Oddly enough, the Marine Corps has been meeting its numbers despite all that. I have a new book. You've heard me talk about it, Victory Over Chaos, the U.S. Marines' Battle for Kafji. One of the points of the book is that through our lens, that these through these stories, you can understand the mindset that's needed to navigate combat. And that mindset, mindset can help you navigate the chaos of life. My brother Kevin sent this to me. He said, this goes to cover the overarching point of your book, Victory Over the Chaos of War. I know for my part, I was often frustrated by not knowing where we were, what was going on, what was the outlook, and what the enemy was up to. I was just thinking about all the things that have to go right to shoot a successful mission like that. So many opportunities in the chain of events for something to go wrong. To put a round right through the top of a BMP like that under those conditions is a testament to our training, discipline, and leadership. One wrong number, misread number, one bad coordinate, one person being lazy about checking the windage, the round fuse combo, the powder charge, the deflection and elevation. It's kind of a miracle when you really understand all the things that have to go right under pressure and using maps and compasses. He's really right about that. You want to talk about teamwork on a grand scale. How else do you describe it? How many, how many pieces have to come together perfectly? And it did. So perfectly that from four miles out, perched up on the edge of a little hill, we fired down, put it right down the hatch of that armored personnel carrier from four miles away. First shot. Discipline, tenacity, initiative, and hard work. It's all part of the story. I think you'll like reading the book, by the way. You can get more information on it at projectchaos.org. As far as the attitude of the military, which was a a big theme of of what we were talking about yesterday, I was trying to think of something that I could share on all this that wasn't all kill, 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 war, 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 because I really want this to reach out on a couple different levels. We're not in combat. We're veterans. We're home. And not everybody listening is a veteran and thinks in those terms. But the attitude and mindset remain the same. And I thought, what can I do to share that would explain this. You may or may not know that I've actually written, well, I've actually written about 20 books. I've published four now. Victory Over Chaos being my newest, I think my best work yet, but not the least of which was my third book, Be the Lion, The Secret to Massive Achievement. There's patterns to success, and those patterns are easily replicated, and much of it begins in the way that we think. And I went back to that book, and I pulled out chapter 15, Attitude, How Success is Created. And I wrote this, and it very much reflects what I believe to be the attitude of the Marine Corps and our military regarding success. Because failure is not an option when you're in a combat situation. Failure is death. So all of a sudden, the equation flips. It becomes much more serious. Let me share it with you. This is uh, chapter 15 from my book, Be the Lion. You can get the information on this book also at projectchaos.org. 
and uh, buy it for a young person that you know. They'll get a lot out of it at you, I promise. If you want success, you have to have the proper mindset. It requires self-esteem, habits of mind, and a proper perspective, regardless of your circumstances. A proper frame of mind, also known as a positive attitude, is the foundation for success. Your beliefs are the starting point of your success. Everything must have a proper foundation or it will not endure. A building without a solid foundation will not stand. A tree without a strong root system will not grow because the roots are what allow the tree to survive. The things that you don't see are the ones that make the most difference. If you take notice, you'll see that most people go through life with a bad attitude. Look hard enough and you can always find something to complain about. You'll hear people complaining about everything from the weather to politics to their spouse, job, and everything in between. It's a shame, too, because a bad attitude pretty much kills any chance of having a good life. Even though it's the norm, don't be tempted to fall into this trap. Examine your thoughts and work to get rid of every single negative thought that comes to mind and replace it with a productive thought that will help you succeed. If you look at all the workings of a large farm, Animals must be fed, the fields must be plowed, the seeds must be planted, the crops must be watered, the crops must be harvested. There are a great many things that go on to create a successful farm. But there's one thing that must happen at least once a year, every single year for this farm to survive. That one thing, if it's not done, will ensure that nothing else on the farm will be successful. And that one thing is this, the farmer has to prepare the soil. Some places have naturally good soil or good dirt, as farmers like to say. Other places have soil that's not suitable for good crop yields. And so the farmer has to take additional steps to make sure the soil is suitable for the crops to grow. Either way, the farmer must carefully prepare the soil. This chapter is about preparing the soil for your success. One thing is certain, you will find success or failure The difference is in which one you choose. There is a discernible pattern to success and one clear first step. Successful people are successful because they make a conscious choice to be successful. The first step to accomplishing anything is adopting the right mindset, convincing yourself that you can do it, will do it, and deserve it. You have to believe that you can succeed. You have to believe in yourself and recognize your self-worth. No one magically creates success in anything. It's a process. You have to believe that you are capable of working through that process. And creating anything great, doing anything great, and achieving anything great means taking a mental journey. If you're going to succeed, you have to be prepared for this journey. When you make the decision to get started, to set a goal or to develop a new idea, it's exciting. And the first steps, the beginning of the process, it's fun. And then slowly it begins to get harder. And then you realize that anything worthwhile is a lot of work. Despair sets in. Self-doubt makes you want to question whether or not it's worth it. But if you have built a firm foundation and you believe in yourself, believe that vision and effort produce certain outcomes, you can persevere. When you move through the hardest part mentally, you've set yourself on the path to success. Once you achieve your goal, if you can understand what made it happen and realize that the boundary you just broke through was just a boundary in your own mind, and then you can set your sights on higher ground and demand more of yourself. And you will go on to do great things. The first step is convincing yourself that you will succeed. 
If you're not happy with an area of your life or if you want to see improvement in your life, use that desire to want to do the things that you know you ought to be doing. Once you start thinking about yourself as being successful, you'll naturally find yourself wanting to do the things that you need to get there. And once you start seeing little successes, they'll motivate you to seek more. And so you'll achieve more and so on. Do it now. See yourself as having achieved what you want and you'll find yourself wanting to do the things to achieve it. You're only ever going to be as happy as you decide to be. We all have certain core needs. When those needs aren't being met or we perceive that, the, perceive that those needs aren't being met, the result is unhappiness, depression, anxiety, or whatever you want to call it. The key is to make a deliberate decision to take control over your thoughts. And as the saying goes, an optimist sees the glass half full, pessimist sees the glass half empty, and a realist just drinks the water. Work to adopt a philosophy that whatever happens, things will work out the way that they should. Whatever you determine to be, you will. This is a key principle, so be sure to burn it into your mind. Whatever you identify yourself as, you will be. Your thoughts become your actions, and your actions determine your results. If you want to see change in your life or improvement in an area of your life, or you want to accomplish a goal, start by thinking of yourself as having achieved it. Create a clear mental picture of what you want, and believe that by doing the right things, and you will achieve it. If you determine to be nothing, you will be nothing. If you never considered what you want to be, there's a good chance that nothing will come of it. And this is the reason why so many times people who are outwardly successful can be very discontent. They set a goal and achieve that goal, but never make a conscious decision what to do next. As I've said before, success is a process, not an event. Your attitude eventually becomes your reality. A bad attitude may very well be the single biggest killer of success. Sooner or later, you become what you believe. If you believe you can't do something, you won't. Typically, we fail in our mind long before we actually fail. Here's a story of two frogs to remember this by. A bunch of frogs were hopping along the bank of a stream doing the things frogs do. As they moved along, two of the frogs fell into the deep hole. They tried jumping as hard as they could, but they could not reach the edge of the hole. The other frogs gathered on the edge of the hole. Realizing how deep it was, they began yelling at the frogs to give up. They kept screaming at them to not even try because they were going to die anyway. Finally, one of the two frogs in the hole gave up and died. But the other frog just kept jumping. While the other frogs on the edge just screamed louder and louder. And the louder they screamed, the harder the frog jumped. This went on quite a while. Finally, the frog in the hole jumped just high enough to reach the edge of the hole. And when the frog was safely on the edge of the bank of the stream, the other frogs asked it why it hadn't listened when they told him to stop jumping. The frog told him that he was deaf, thought that they were cheering him on. Two frogs in exactly the same situation. One frog believed it couldn't get out and failed. The other frog believed it could and succeeded. Humans are the only creature given the gift of creativity. It's said that a dog can learn over 300 words. It's found that whales can communicate with each other using a complex language. Apes have been taught to start fires. All of them are incredible creatures in their own right. But none of them possesses the ability to think creatively. 
The ability to create something from nothing is a divine ability. It also leads to something else, problem solving, using your ability for creative thinking to create your own future. Like an architect who creates a plan for a building. The architect first imagines the building and then he draws it on paper and then he builds it. Do the same for your life. Have you ever wanted something so badly that you think you'll die if you don't have it? That the mere thought of it keeps you awake at night? You can't sleep, you can't eat, you can't drink. You're so consumed by that desire that nothing else matters and you're not sure life is worth living if you can't have it. That's when you know you're ready to succeed. Worry is useless. Preparation is essential. Don't believe the naysayers or your own self-doubt. When you say to yourself, I will, you can. And when you adopt this mindset, the possibilities for achievement are endless. Of course, there will be challenges. No one is great at everything. But that doesn't mean that anyone can't be great at something. And with the right mindset, knowledge, and discipline, you can accomplish great things. You know you've lost your way when you start making excuses. Instead of making excuses for your circumstances, ask yourself what you can learn from the experience. Use every situation as an opportunity to be better. Don't confuse winning with success and don't confuse losing with failure. You can't control every circumstance and it's a guarantee that life is going to throw you some curveballs. Sometimes the ball comes right at your head. All you can do is duck. That's life. It's all part of the journey. But when you do your best, you'll have the confidence that things will work out the way that they're supposed to. They won't always go the way that you want them, but they'll always work out the way they should. And many times, things don't work out as planned because the time isn't right. These are perfect opportunities for learning and personal growth, like a dry rehearsal, a chance to practice. Take advantage of those opportunities and don't give up. A lot of times what seems like a struggle will look like a completely different experience when you look back on it. Successful people tell stories of their struggles and bad experiences, and when I look back on these struggles, I realize that the outcome was for the best. Just because you see a cloud coming doesn't mean a storm is coming. Consider this. What if the naysayers are wrong? Everyone talks about preparing for doomsday, but what if it never comes? And what if the best way for, to prepare for doomsday is to prepare for abundance? Accept the fact that the world is not going to end tomorrow. Plan for the worst, but plan for the best too. Fear, anxiety, worry are your enemy. Remember that and fight them head on. You know that major depressive disorder is the leading cause of disability worldwide? Imagine that. In a world where health and medical technologies are far more advanced today than they've ever been in history, people feel worse than ever. In a world where access to not only basic necessities are available, but also a level of comfort never known before, more people are discontent than ever. Well, people generally start to feel badly when they stop seeing progress in their lives. The next step is frequently placing the blame somewhere. When things aren't going our way, the natural tendency is to blame somebody or something else. Remember this, fear is a surefire way to ignore your dreams. You can't let fear stop you. Use it as your tool. Super achievers seek to find their limitations and test them so that they can know their limits. They know that each time they reach a limit, they'll be able to set a new limit. It's that process of reaching limits and creating new ones that creates greatness. If your life is filled with negativity, maybe you need to stop complaining. 
Everyone has habits, and these include habits of the mind. And if your way of thinking includes things like, that'll never work for me, or I'll never be able to do that, then you're doomed from the start. Don't fall into the trap of complaining, making excuses, feeling like a victim, or feeling sorry for yourself. And remember this, your mind is your most strategic muscle. Train yourself in terms of how can I? Your mind is like a muscle. It needs to be trained and exercised. Carve out time each day to train your mind in positive thinking. Set your standard for yourself high enough so that you'll always expect that you'll do the best you can no matter what the situation is. The way you see things is a reflection of the way you see yourself. And here's the thing. Nobody's excited to do the the same things all the time. Everybody falls into a rut from time to time. People get tired. They get bored. It's a fact of life. And to add to it, One of the natural laws of the universe is that for every action, there's an equal but opposite reaction. And this applies to all areas of our lives. Sometimes it seems like any time we make any effort to start something, obstacles start popping up. It's easy to let these obstacles take over and allow procrastination to settle in. Procrastination is a negative mindset, and a negative mindset is a killer of dreams. Imagine the possibilities if you believe you can solve any problem or overcome any obstacle. What great things would you be capable of? One thing is for sure, you're only going to achieve what you believe you'll achieve and nothing more. And what you believe of yourself, you will become. Nobody has a crystal ball, and nobody escapes challenges. The key is to always strive to do your best, no matter what the circumstances. And if you develop that frame of mind, that when you do your best, that things will always turn out the way they're supposed to, then you have a solid philosophy. That is the mindset of a warrior. In one chapter, chapter 15 from my book, Be the Lion. I hope you find that inspiring. Thanks for listening today. Check out all my books at projectchaos.org. And I hope to see you back Monday, 1600 hours for the live show on WWDB. Also available streaming. All the links are at projectchaos.org. Make it a great day.